you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I have been on the lookout for good news in whatever medium I can find it lately, whether it's uh, my little Google News feed or the occasional pop into Yahoo News, whether it's NPR in the car, whether it's your text messages. I'm, I am looking for good news. John Baker, uh, one of our dear friends here in the, the adult Sunday school class, has accused me of, of being a little too down sometimes. And I think he's right. I think... Uh, I am quick to, to look at all the negative uh, and to miss the hope and the good. So I've been actively seeking good news. Uh, probably the, the best good news in my mind recently has been the news of the vaccine. Uh, you know, to have multiple candidates come out ready to roll uh, is phenomenal. To hear that uh, probably in the next 100 days we'll have 100 million just Americans vaccinated uh, seems like tremendous good news. 252 days ago, 100 days sounded like forever. Now it feels like virtually nothing. We'll have, uh, we'll have the chance to, to find our new normal, to re-embrace uh, friendships that are now just virtual and, and to become embodied again. This is good news. God's people... <laughs> delight in other people. We want to be together. It's, it's good news though that gets pushed out by all the bad news around it. Uh, it, it will trend on Twitter for just a second and then uh, the next five outrageous things show up and drown it out. The networks will do a brief, uh, brief announcement about it and then all of a sudden there's the 10 other more devastating news stories that they're going to talk to you about. It is easy to not let the good news be in front of us, but good news is always the thing that keeps us from despair. Whether it's in the Psalms of Lament where we talk about the good news of our hope in God, whether it's in pandemic and we talk about the hope of a vaccine or, or, or the church, the hope of gathering back together again. Good news is who we are. Good news... Uh, is scriptural. The Gospels, the Evangelion, is the good news. We're in our second week of the series of the identity of the Messiah, and we're diving right into the first part of Mark. We set it up last week uh, kind of with some higher background data. We talked about probably written by John Mark, Barnabas's cousin, uh, kind of from Rome, using Peter's stories to tell uh, his version of the good news. the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, for all the talk of, uh, of how churches shouldn't be in politics, uh, the Gospels jump right into politics. Uh, you and I hear the beginning of the good news and we think, yep, that's great, that's, that's Christianese talk, right? But this good news would stop people in their tracks because good news, euangelion uh, or uh, euangelizo in the verb form, are these words that are driven from the imperial cult. Good news is when Caesar's son is born. Good news is when the next Caesar ascends to the throne. Good news 
It's about the thriving of Rome. And yet, the gospel authors say, no, the good news is about Jesus Christ, God's son. This is a second slap in the face of Caesar within the first sentence because God's son is always the son of Caesar himself. God's son is the one whose face is put on a coin and says, uh, divine uh, Caesar, son of God. And Mark, in one half a sentence, says, no, the good news is actually about Jesus, the son of God on high. He tells us three things about this person, that it's Jesus. This is, we hear in the other gospels how uh, the angels come and say, you'll name him Jesus, which means God saves. This is Yeshua, that, that literally God is saving. We see that he is the Christ. For most of my life, I've used Christ as his last name. It's actually a title. It's the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who uh, God is going to kind of use as his hope for the world. And then it says God's son. Caesar is not God's son. Jesus, the the Nazarene, the one who is God's Messiah, is actually God's son. And hey, Roman people, if you think this is something we're just making up, this is to fulfill what they've been writing about for centuries. It's to fulfill what Isaiah and Malachi said when they said, look, I'm sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way from the Lord, make his path straight. This first paragraph quote that draws on Malachi and Isaiah these times right as they're coming back from exile. What is the hope of returning from Babylon when everything seems desolate? When the temple has been destroyed, when God's presence is not there, when there's but a remnant of people left, the prophets declare, make way. God is coming. They, they long and they hope for a second Exodus, a return uh, to God's promises and out of, out of all the bad news, out of all the suffering, out of all those things that want to bring them down, the good news is that someone is coming. Let's make paths straight for this person. Let's prepare. Mark doesn't spend three chapters setting up John the Baptist. He just jumps right on in. John was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. This idea of baptism as preparation, this whole John scene as preparation is is stark because baptism is new to the Jews at this point. In the Old Testament, you don't hear stories about baptism. This emerges during this intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament as a way of doing two things. If you're a Gentile and you want to convert to Judaism, now not only do you get circumcised, you go and you get baptized. You are made ritually pure and invited into the community. And then if you're a Jew, you can go and be baptized uh, much like we would go rededicate our lives at the altar. This is your, uh, your way of acknowledging that you want to be made pure before God again. And everybody is coming out to John. All of Jerusalem and all of Judea are coming out to the wilderness to see John the Baptist and to confess their sins and be made pure. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locust and wild honey. Uh, Sarah read from the Jesus Storybook Bible about this weird guy. John falls into two weird camps. He's 
uh, John the Nazarite, so he doesn't cut his hair, he doesn't drink wine, he doesn't uh, touch dead animals. He, he is, these are strange people. Samuel's a Nazarite, pro- Paul probably is a Nazarite, uh, and John the Baptist is a Nazarite. But he's also most likely an Essene. This is, uh, you know, we've heard the Pharisees, we've heard the Sadducees, you don't hear much about the Essenes. This is the crowd that hangs out way outside of town. They live out in the wilderness, in the desert, which seems fitting since that's where John is doing his work. They go out and they are preparing for God's Messiah to come. They kind of bring about the popularity of the the baptism ritual. They are the ones who collect the Dead Sea Scrolls and stick them in caves so that we have them later. They are a weird bunch. They draw away from the world. They eat strange stuff. They uh, wear strange clothes. And somehow John has landed in both these camps. It's a strange man out in the wilderness calling people to repentance and it is working. It is like the people have been caught up in John's fire and they are ready to go. So they show up. The other gospels tell about even the Pharisees and Sadducees come down to be baptized. Something is happening. They don't know it yet, but, but John is living Isaiah's prophecy. He is preparing the way for the one who is to come, his cousin, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He announces to all those coming, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of a sandal. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's got this crowd worked up into a baptism frenzy. They are all repenting and confessing and getting made pure. And he says, you think this is special? Let me tell you. One who is far greater than I am is to come. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and touch his shoes. I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This central piece of Essene living, baptism and purification, now gets relativized and important to what importance to what is coming. The spirit baptism of the one who John has been preparing us for. The spirit baptism of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. This should uh, hearken us back to the, the prophets and the books like Ezekiel, where God says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Literally, this should, should begin to make us think about what it looks like for God to rip out our sin-ridden dead hearts and spirits and to fill them with his spirit. We shouldn't think, uh, you know, getting baptized in the Spirit as our Pentecostals brother, brother and sisters talk about. We shouldn't think about getting filled with the Spirit even like Pente- uh, Pentecost. We should instead think about the Spirit being poured out across the world. This language of baptism to me is fascinating, you know. It's fascinating. It's war language. You baptizo an enemy ship. You baptize it. You get out there and you sink it and, and you are done with it. In baptism, we, we've been being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And now the Holy Spirit is going to pour out across the land in a mighty and powerful way. Paul talks about the whole of creation groaning. And the Spirit comes down and begins to work across the land. And in each one of us. God comes in and announces that Hey, those hopes you have, those desires for this new exodus, these desires for things to be made right, it's happening now. 
this Jesus who's coming, he isn't coming and doing little baptism ceremonies on each Sunday like, hey, let's line up and let's sprinkle you. He goes out and through the power of the Spirit, he goes and resists the devil. He goes out and he heals. He goes out and drives out demons. He does miraculous signs. And then he, he calls these disciples and says, you have the same power I have. Go and heal people. Go and tell the story. Go and spread the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, in all of his might, all of his power, and all of his charisma, is but a foretaste of Jesus and his spirit baptism. This spirit baptism that pours out on the world and changes it, that transforms us as the people who are hopeless and and stuck in sin and who, on our own, are totally depraved. That spirit pours out across us and transforms us to be God's people. To collectively be God's very body now. The spirit changes everything. The spirit is now going to let us the spirit is going to let us say yes to God. The spirit is going to pour out on us and allow us to say yes to his grace, to be justified, to be saved, to have our hearts turned around and to have us... My kids are coming in. Uh, Hey, can you go to the nursery? (laughs) The Spirit will pour out on us. Those are your shoes. I'm going to ask Miss Holly if she would maybe help uh, get my child out of here. Hey, baby girl. Hey. You want to go with Mr. Nell? Yeah. Yeah, go with her. Go with her. Josiah, go with Holly, please. Go with Holly, please. Please go. You get right rolling talking about the spirit and your kids roll in and you get... You get pretty excited about seeing your kids, but then you lose your track of where you are talking about the Spirit, and that's, that is okay. Uh, back when we were at offerings, uh, we had a, a discussion early on about how we deal with kids in worship, and we decided that if they interrupt everything, it's worth it, because we delight in our kids being uh, part of our church and, and loving the place and being comfortable coming in. Uh, and so I'm going to figure out how to land this ship now. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Spirit. Jesus is doing something that's going to change the entire course of the world, that will shape uh, the foundations of the church, that will be poured out for two centuries upon the church, that will enable us to go and to be God's holy people. This spirit that pours out enables us to avail ourselves of God's grace and to be made holy. This spirit uh, across the land allows us to love God and to love our neighbor. And it's this spirit that allows us continually to turn our hearts to God, to seek his face and then to tell the world about him. For John prepared the way and Jesus came and then he, he gave us his spirit to go and to make disciples, to tell the good news, to uh, bear witness to the kingdom of heaven at hand, to announce liberation from oppression. The Spirit is poured out on you 
and on me. The Spirit is poured out across the land as God does this work of making our hearts new, of, of giving us a new soft heart and a spirit that is of him. Jesus, the Messiah, the, the hope of Israel, the Son of God, the one who baptizes in the Spirit. He's the King of all kings. He's the Lord. Caesar is not. And he's done what he's promised. John is heralded the way in. Jesus is incarnate and he jumps right in to bringing Israel back from this new exodus and bringing us out from slavery to sin and death. Whenever I talk to y'all, I try to listen to what you're telling me. I want to hear how your heart is. And I regularly hear a lot of tired people. People working hard, people struggling with everything going on. Friends, I'd like to offer you to offer you the spirit. When you find that you need to to do or to fix or to be, instead may you rest in the spirit. The one poured out upon each of us. May you find wholeness and rest as the Spirit invites you into the means of grace. May you find yourself transformed more into the image of God as the Spirit encounters you. And may we as a church go with boldness just as John did, declaring the good news. Our world needs to hear good news these days. And it's not just good news about the vaccine. It's good news that God reigns. It doesn't matter what happens in the elections. God still reigns. It doesn't matter what political party is leading the White House. God still reigns. It doesn't matter who is suing whom in our government. God still reigns. And God will continue to pour out God's spirit upon his church until that time when he comes and all things are made right. Until that time when heaven and earth are once more united. We're asking what is the identity of the Messiah and is the one who baptizes the Spirit. The one who is God's Son. The one who is the Christ of Israel's hope and Jesus, the God who saves. Would you pray with me? Lord, just as Just as the Romans faced good news from other crowds, we face good news from other things. Remind our hearts these days that the ultimate good news is your incarnation and your return. Remind us of the hope that we have in your resurrection and your ascension and your reign. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us in abundance that we might uh, avail ourselves of the means of grace, that we might be transformed more fully into your image, that we might reflect your face to the world, Lord. 
and announce that your kingdom of heaven is at hand. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray.